Let's just pray. Father God, I absolutely believe, Father, that tonight, Lord, you have a resident anointing here at the rock that you just want to release in lives. Father, I pray tonight that we would be so bold to believe that the truth we can capture tonight, if we allow it to penetrate our hearts, is a truth that can transform ourselves in our communities, Lord, every place, every person that we interact with. Lord, may we be so bold to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to talk to you about first fruits tonight. And um, for me, this is, uh, every so often there's kind of a, this, that's really heavy, that's awesome. Um, every so often there's sort of a, um, a message that comes along that that you don't really feel you have to form, it forms you. And um, this is a message that has formed me. Um, I'm a child of the faith, I'm a second generation Christian. My parents um, took me on the mission field when I was 18 months old. Uh, Between 18 months and 11 years old, I spent more time outside of New Zealand than inside of it. My family lived and breathed faith on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. I remember at the age of seven... um, around the dining room table and Dad would go through the finances and we were at and that within a month we could lose the house if God didn't come through and so we would pray. As a seven-year-old I would pray that God would come through and as a seven-year-old I watched checks arrive in the mail. I watched people um, you know, just come and bless hugely um, upon our family and I watched my family too bless others and, and totally live with this first roots lifestyle and it's interesting um, as I as I continue just to kind of grow in faith and, and and knowledge of God and really what this thing called Christianity is all about, it, it's interesting to me to observe um, kind of the differences of people's a- approaches to God. And um, a few weeks ago, I was sitting with someone there saying, and we, and we got into this debate, and we're talking about church service times, one of the age-old sort of arguments, which is hugely important. <laughs> for obviously the mission of Christianity is what time you have your church service. And um, there were all these arguments going on. This one argument came forward. It said, you know what? You know, like Sunday night church, it just does not work. I mean, it's right at the end of the week. You know, you've spent your whole week at work and you've done all the stuff that you've got to do on the weekend and then the last thought of your week is to have to go to church. And I'm just often I'm just, you know, by a Sunday night I'm just too tired to go to church. You ever heard that? <laughs> you might have said it. <laughs> um, and it struck me in this conversation I really held back from kind of the twenty five year old Brooke who would have just totally rebuked the person right there and then. But it struck me, I said, this is really astonishing to me because when I go and buy any calendar or any diary, the first day of the week isn't Monday. The first day of the week is Sunday. But somehow this person has completely oriented their life. That week, the week starts, what is it determined by? What is their paradigm? The week starts when work starts. Work for who? The week starts when I go out into the world and serve another mandate, basically. That's when work starts. But imagine if suddenly I think, Sunday's the first day of the week. You know, 
That means on my first day of the week, I've spent all today preparing for tonight. Having time with my family this morning and seeking the Lord this afternoon, I feel completely at peace. It's my first, and what a better thing to do with my first day in the week than to come to the rock to worship God in spirit and in truth, to hear the word of God that can transform my life, that then for my second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day of the week, I can be outworking that in my community, in my workplace. It's like, that's the principle of first fruits right there. It's like, is God the first thing on your mind or the last? And it's like people who say, you know, is, is God like sort of right there in the good and the bad or is God your one, one, one service? Oh crap, things have gone wrong. I remember, I'm a Christian. God, one, one, one. Lord, you really need to hook me up now. Oh, who are you again? I can't quite remember the tone of your voice. Who are you? Oh, that's right, it's Brooke from Wellington. Hi, Brooke, we haven't talked in a while. Yeah, well, I need to talk to you now, God, because I've got problems. I'm just letting you know. Imagine parents, parents are in this room, you know, if your kids are like that. Imagine if I only called my dad when I wanted something. Imagine if I only visited my dad when there was something in his house I was interested in. You know, it's like, kids are like that, aren't they? And it's like, and, and we've got to get into this mindset of like giving our first fruits to God. You know, giving our first fruits to God. And uh, is God the first thing on our minds or the last? Is God our beloved or our one 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 service when things don't go according to plan? Is God and faith a part of our lives or the centerpiece that everything else orbits around? It's like some people, if you imagine that their lives is a car, Christianity is the trailer and we only put the trailer on on the weekend. We only put the trailer on when we're doing kind of our Christian service. Oh, I'm going to do street evangelism. Grab the trailer, hun. Hook it up to the car. And now we're doing our Jesus thing. Oh, there's now there's this outreach service at the Rock. That's right. I meant to tell people about Jesus, the cure to the only incurable disease in existence, sin. That's right. Now, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Oh, but hey, let's remember to put the trailer away when so-and-so and so-and-so come around because we know they're agnostics. They do not want to know about Christianity. Get rid of the as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord cross-stitch from the kitchen, hun. Put it in the drawer. We'll talk about that later. You know what I mean? It's funny, isn't it? But that, that's kind of how we live. And first fruits isn't about obligation. It's actually about worship. It's about adoration. It's about giving to God. That the first thing in my day is to give to Jesus. He's not just the last thing on my mind. He's the first thing on my mind. That my whole world is oriented around Jesus Christ. He is the centerpiece. He orients it all. He is the purpose of it all. He is through it all. And when you begin to have your life on that orientation, when your compass is set to heaven and not earth, then anything that happens on earth's compass doesn't affect you, see? It's not, it's not going to come and take you out. And what happens is that we've just been totally reoriented. And often what we've done is that we've thrown out a truth because it's been taken to an extreme. This happens all the time in Christianity. But you don't throw out a truth just because it's been taken to an extreme. Folks. You bring it back to where it's meant to sit. You don't say, I don't believe that God can slay people in the Holy Spirit because you got pushed over. You say people shouldn't push other people over in church. It's not loving. Right? The point is not to kind of critique the truth. The point is, is it truth or not? Well, the truth of first fruits is this. If you live a first fruit lifestyle, God will bless you. You know, I've, I've outworked my missional context in the last eight years down in, in central Wellington and pretty much like 
a very, very left-wing liberal environment where, you know, to kind of talk about the blessing of God from a faith perspective, for many people that we've been reaching out to, to talk about blessing is like, they just automatically go to this prosperity type idea. Like, blessing is somehow associated to money. Like, blessing's been reduced to money. And, you know, it was interesting, I did a study on blessing in the scriptures, and um, what I found is that the scriptures, the whole narrative of the Bible from Genesis, 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 That was the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Um, From Genesis to Revelation, you find these stories of people, right? And they're they're the stories, they're the narratives of people's lives. And what you find that in every case where people obeyed God, God blessed them. There is only one gift or one office in the scriptures who obey God and they get a raw deal and that is the prophet's. Okay, so if you're called to be a prophet, someone will pray for you. <laughs> I was going to say oh, I will, but I probably won't. Cause I don't know who you are. <laughs> the point is, like the prophets get a raw deal, but they also get a direct line to God. That's pretty cool, huh? Right. But in every other case where obedience wins, there is blessing. There is blessing. Somehow we got into this mindset that oh, I'm not meant to be blessed. I'm not meant to talk about the blessing of God. Oh, it's about building the empire of man. It's like God wants to bless you. He absolutely does. He wants to bless you in every measure of blessing you can imagine. Right? As a father, I have a three-year-old and a five-month-old. I want to bless Evelyn. I just want to bless her. I was seven days away last week and I decided in the middle of the week, I'm like, what am I going to do for my three-year-old to remember me? And I thought, I'm going to get her a helium balloon in a box that arrives at the house and when the doorbell goes and the courier comes, because she always beats mum to the door, this helium balloon's going to pop out and it's going to be a huge, big, yellow, smiley face. I mean, I don't know what kind of atrocious amount of money went on my credit card for that. <laughs> right? But it's like, there's no reason in that. It's not logic. Oh, well, I don't think God should be giving helium balloons to kids. No, that's just awful. You know, God, fathers want to bless their kids. Your God wants to bless you. You're his kid. Of course he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you completely illogically, completely irrationally. He wants to bless you. But the truth is, have you sold into a lie that you cannot be blessed? Now, so I haven't been asked to speak this message tonight. I'm just, the message is speaking through me. This is the message of my life. That God has just blessed me because I believe in blessing. I believe in it wholeheartedly. I just believe I walk expecting to be blessed, expecting to hear the voice of God, expecting to encounter Him through people, through the actions that I take, expecting breakthrough. I don't walk expecting like the resistance is permanent. All resistance is temporary. All resistance is temporary. And when you begin to walk like that, you just see a breakthrough that comes. So I want to take you through some scriptures today that The first one is in Genesis 4. And listen, please understand, I don't know if we've got any of these types of Christians here today, but let's just get something right. There is no such thing as Old Testament Christians, New Testament Christians, right? If you're you're brought into that Old Testament, New Testament rubbish, you've just got to settle it here tonight. Because the point is that God didn't give you 
just a book of the Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. He gave you the entire narrative of the scripture and it is applicable today. And if you're a Christian like me that believes the entire Bible is the infallible word of God, that means it is living, that nothing can be taken away from it, nothing can be added. That means nothing can be taken away. That means Genesis 1 cannot be taken away. It means Revelation 20 cannot be taken away. And so everything matters today and here. Are you with me? Are you following me? All right. So we're in Genesis 4 and it matters. God's agenda, not ours. And here is the age-old story. We're going to go through some Sunday school stories tonight um, of Abel and Cain. Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, 2-6. Now Abel was the keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel bought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain. His offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Here's the, okay, let's just get this, right? This is not just a Bible story. This happened. These two brothers, one farms produce, one farms livestock, right? The brother with the livestock gives a lamb as his offering to God and God accepts it, the killing of a lamb. Now, I don't know if you've seen a lamb, but they look quite cute. I'm not really interested in killing them. I think it's horrible. Even though they're a delicacy, they're nice to taste once they're cooked, right? The other guy is given his broccoli, zucchini, whatever else he's grown in his veggie garden, right? It's like he's just giving of what he, what he had, right? He's the farmer of produce. Abel's the farmer of livestock. Well, why is it that this God up in heaven is like, I accept the livestock, but not the veggies? I mean, what is he, a carnivore? Does he not eat vegetables? I mean, what is it with God? Oh, what's going on here? This seems absolutely ludicrous to me that Cain gets his offering rejected of what he has worked for with all of his heart and he gives his, his veggies to God, right? Are you getting me? Whereas Abel gives of his lamb. So, so what was Cain meant to do? To go to Abel and say, can I please have a sheep to give to God? That's exactly what he was meant to do. That's exactly what he was meant to do. And you know why? This is the point right here. The point is, God decides what he wants. Because he's God. God didn't want veggies. Read the Old Testament, what is he looking for? He's looking for the shedding of blood. Covering of sin. He's looking at it for life, through livestock, livestock. You read Leviticus, there's a whole book of the shedding of blood of livestock. It is symbolism of what is to come. It's symbolism of Christ. Symbolism of what Christ's going to do. And broccoli can't shed blood. <laughs> don't know if you're aware of this. <laughs> if you cut a broccoli in half, blood doesn't flow. Right? I know this is gruesome, but like, we've just got to understand this. Here's the principle, right? God determines what he wants from you. Not you. You don't get to determine what you give. God determines it. You don't go, oh, well, God, you know, um, I'm only prepared to give this. Oh, well, you just might be cursed like Cain then. You're going to choose what you give? You think you can't get cursed? 
Look around you, man. Look around at people. People who live in the opposite direction of what God is asking for. You know, all these people trying to assess what God thinks about what. You know, God is God. He determines it. Brooke Turner doesn't determine what he gets of Brooke. God determines what he gets of Brooke. And he might want something different today than he wanted yesterday, so I better walk with him. I better not just, you know, treat Sunday night as the last day of the week. I better walk with him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it doesn't matter if I met God yesterday. I need to meet him today because he might have different plans for me. He might have a change of course. He might have something else that he wants. And listen, it's for God to determine what he wants. And, and here Cain just missed it. He, just, he gave an unacceptable offering. But Abel gave the first fruits that was accepted. It just seems bizarre. Similarly, God prioritises what he wants from us. In Matthew 22 he says, A new commandment I give you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. To love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is what it means. You need to determine what God wants from you and then let all of your heart submit to what he wants. You need to determine what God wants from you and then let all of your mind submit to what he wants. You need to determine what God wants from you and then let all of your strength submit to what he wants. Are you getting this? Then you begin to understand this because when we, when we become the gods of our own thinking, we push God away. And you know, the Enlightenment, what happened in the Enlightenment was the writers of the Enlightenment were trying to create the immortality of man. And they chose to create it through the power of logic, through the power of reason and through the power of progress. And listen, God gave man the ability to think logically, to do things reasonably, and to progress. And that is great, isn't it? I mean, these people who create artificial limbs that mean people who have been in accidents can now walk. I mean, that is godly, isn't it? That kind of progress is from the heart of heaven. But the point is, when progress supersedes God, it's idolatry. When logic supersedes God, it's idolatry. When reason supersedes God, it's idolatry. And if you serve a reasonable, logical God, you don't serve the God of the Scriptures because there is plenty in here that is unreasonable and illogical. Absolutely. Why did Jesus get baptised? It's illogical. It's unreasonable. Everything we hear in the epistles about baptism is about the washing away of sin. So why did the sinless man get baptised, right? If you try to interpret scripture through reason and logic, you will not continue to walk with God. If you try to do the same in Christianity, there will become a roadblock in your life that God will lead you to. Hallelujah. And you will be on what's called the crisis of faith circle, which goes like this. Crisis, you go back, crisis, crisis, crisis. Why? Because God's always bringing you to a crisis of faith where he determines what he gets is what he wants, not what you want to give. And listen, God loves that we want to give him a whole bunch of stuff, 
But the point is we want to make sure that we're giving him the stuff that he wants. And so we need to understand that first and foremost, he wants the devotion of our hearts. And that's an offering of our time. Where do I show, how do I show my daughter that I love her? I give her time, quality time, right? How do I show my wife that I love her? I give her quality time. How do I show God that I love him? I give him my time. I let God have my time. And when I start orienting myself around God, you know, blessing begins to flow in my life. I begin to hear him, you know? So you talk to these people say, oh no, I'm not a Christian anymore. Why? Oh, God never spoke to me. Well, how many times did you talk to him? I talked to him five times. Oh, whoa, perseverance, man. That's amazing. I mean, come on, you know? The first thing, God wants the devotion of our heart. You know what? If I'm devoted to my daughter, does that mean that when Evelyn does things I don't like, I just walk away from her? Oh no, sorry, I don't really want you to be my daughter now. You're acting in a way that I don't like. No, it means I'm devoted. God is devoted to you. His devotion is written in blood. He's not walking away. He didn't walk away. He hung there. He was nailed there. And you got the audacity to walk away. I've got the audacity to walk away. Man, God needs devotion of my time. Devotion is eternal. Do you get that? First fruit. You want to know what the first fruit is? Just forget any offerings of anything monetary. It's the devotion of Brooke. God, you have got Brooke. And you've got me today. And today may be hard. I love that, that song we sung, you know, like um, when pain comes in the night but joy comes in the morning. Do you really think that the joy arriving in the morning means there's no pain? No way, Jose. <laughs> the pain is still there because joy is ever-present in pain. James, you know, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Right? Finding the joy of the Lord is in the midst of the pain. And so my devotion of my heart, is, it's got to be like this. It's got to be like, there will never be a time when this relationship is on the line, Lord. That is the first fruits of your life to God. Right? That's me with Katie. There will never be a time, I've said it to her, I say it to her over and over again. There will never be a time, darling, that our relationship is on the line. She says it back to me because that is devotion, right? There will never be a time with Evelyn, no matter what Evelyn does, no matter how much she hates me or how much she rebels against the values of our family or how much she rips me off or whatever she becomes, there will never be a time she loses my devotion because that's what devotion is. See? But the second thing God wants, and this is the lamb thing, is that he wants the first fruits of your labour because you spend the majority of your time doing that. And that is actually a result of sin, the fall. What happened was, when the fall came, the, the ground was cursed, and instead of the blessing of God just releasing fruit, man had to then toil for labour. And therefore, as a result of sin, we've had to toil, and as a response to the gospel, the Lord says, well, in light of making sure that your toil does not become the point, you must give me the first fruits of the toil, which is Cain and Abel. Do you get it? Are you following? So God wants your toil. He wants the first fruits of your money. He just does. He absolutely does. He wants it. And he wants it with no condition on it. Absolutely no condition. You know, I had a person in our church a few years ago. They, they came to me. They wanted to um, politicise one of our church services and campaign for a particular political party. 
And I told them they couldn't do it because I said, listen, in our church we've got national supporters, green supporters, Māori supporters, we've got every single party represented, but it's going to turn into a big fist fight. It's going to be ridiculous. And they said, but I've tithed here for three years. I've earned the right to give my political speech. All right, so, so basically you paid a membership to a club so you could give a speech at a club. I see now why your life doesn't have the fruit of the blessing of God in it because even though you've been tithing, you've been tithing with the wrong motive. You tithe like this, not like this. Right? This is about tith- it's not about tithing. This isn't a message about tithing. It's a message about first fruits. You know, when Katie and I write our budget, we don't go through and go, all oh, our expenditure, oh, what do we have left for God? Just like the week starts with Monday and ends with Sunday, am I, do I have enough energy to go to church? Well, if you live that way, you'll never come to church. No, we go, this is what we get. What are we going to give God? We give God this. This is fixed expenditure, right? And that's just our, that's our baseline. That's not even our offering. That's just our baseline. That's irrespective of God coming to me and saying, Brooke, I want you to do this. Katie, I want you to do this, right? And where does this come from? This comes from Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love another He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So again, what was the first point of the first fruits? Devotion. Devotion who? Of us. But no one can serve two masters. They'll be devoted to one or the other. And what are the two masters that Jesus outlines? Mammon and him. So there has to be a first fruit of mammon, the toil, that goes to him to ensure that you never get robbed by mammon. You never live with mammon. And when you begin living that way, listen, it's liberating. I just see some, I mean, some people, I'm sorry, I just have to declare, you know, it's, it, when you start talking this thing, it's like our human nature just comes out of logic, our reason. It's like some people are just going like this as I'm speaking. It's like, ooh. Be set free, listen, we're not going to have an offering at the end tonight. We've had the offering. You know, the buckets have gone round. I wasn't asked to say this. I'm not saying this so that the coffers at the rock go up. This isn't about the rock. It's actually about you. It's about the blessing of God on your life. And listen, when you begin living this way, it's just completely amazing. You know, the other night we watched, um, we watched a television die in our living room. It was an astonishing thing. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But I'm sitting there with my three-year-old. I put on the TV and it was the TV that my, my brother had given me and we watched the screen warp in like this. My little three-year-old's going, what's happening, Daddy? What's going on? It's getting smaller. It's getting smaller. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller and it dies. And we're just like, I mean, actually, Evelyn was quite gutted about it, hey, our three-year-old. And um, so I'm like, oh, yeah, who cares? I'm sick of TVs. And we just see this culture and you see them advertised and all these interest-free, higher-purchase deals for televisions and you know all that sort of thing. And then they've got these bracket things that you've got to have them on a wall somewhere. And you know, I just really don't like putting up brackets, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> and um, so I'm like, oh, we don't have TV. No, we'll just watch DVDs on the, um, on the laptop, you know, and have TV on demand. And, and so I'm sitting around, and then a friend comes around, and they say, oh, where's your TV? I 
said, oh, I died, you know, it was actually quite cool. <laughs> so it was more fun than watching the television, you know, watching it die. <laughs> and, um, and I said, oh, well, what's Evelyn going to watch her DVDs on? And I said, oh, you know, we're just going to watch it on the computer. They said, no, 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 we're not having that. I said, what do you mean you're not having that? And I said, no, 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 we can't have that, we can't have that. So they go away, they come back, and they bought a brand new HD television for my three-year-old. I just bring it in. And then my wife says, no, 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 we don't, we don't actually want TV. Isn't it? You know, our values are... They said, listen, shut up. It's not for you. It's for your kid. <laughs> All right? You don't get, I'm not letting your values somehow determine what this three-year-old gets. You know, they're going to grow up and like... And the person actually, they're going to grow up and be one of those Christians who never saw TV, you know? And that sort of thing. They just gave the TV. The point is, I don't serve Jesus for a television, but, you know, God just cares that my three-year-old was gutted that our TV died and bought another one for her. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not about the television. It's about the first fruits lifestyle that when you live for God, when it's, when it seeks first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things shall be added to, unto you. And even stuff that you're going, no God, I really don't need that. I really don't think that's best. God goes, well, you know what? Sometimes you buy your daughter helium balloons so I can give her an HD television if I want. <laughs> and that's the scenario, isn't it? I'm prepared to give $50 to a helium balloon, but God's prepared to get someone to pay $2,000 for a TV for my three-year-old. And that's the difference of love, isn't it? Now, is this prosperity? We're not talking prosperity. I'm not saying you start giving to God of your first fruits of your money, all that stuff. But I'm saying God's intent is to bless you. You say, what about the people in those poor countries? God's intent is to bless them. You think it's intended for them to live that way? You think we're meant to reduce to somehow all live below the poverty line that everyone gets better that way? Are you serious? No. You know, there's a reason in New Zealand that we are blessed. We're, look at our national anthem. Look at our Christian heritage. Look at the Māori revival in 1814 and up and down the country. There are tens of thousands of people who came to Christ up and down our country. Look at how new our country is. It's only 200 years old. It hasn't been bloodstained like Europe. There's reasons why there's blessings in different places. We've got to understand it. Not some, somehow in our reason and logic try to analyse the God of the universe who decides when a star is formed and when it dies and at the same time notices when a sparrow dies. I mean, this is sort of Amazing to me. Zacchaeus in Luke 19, here's this guy, he's rich. People always miss that about Zacchaeus, they just think, oh, tax collector. He was rich. He climbs up this tree to see the real Jesus. He just wants to see the real Jesus. He's just ready to give his first fruits. This guy is who he says he is. I'm going to give him my first fruits, I'm going to give everything. He says, Jesus, will you have dinner with me? The devotion of the heart, time. Jesus puts the cross on hold. He's on his way to Jerusalem and goes and has dinner with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is there as an absolute result of the devotion of his time. He says, Lord, if I've wronged anyone, I repay them four times over. Jesus didn't even ask for it. See, he had to ask the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler wasn't living a first fruits lifestyle. He was obeying the commandments, but out of an obligation how many Christians are obeying the commandments out of an obligation? Here's Zacchaeus, the tax collector, 
who doesn't want to obey the commandments out of obligation, he's just in love with the Saviour that he's heard of. And so he's there and he's just like, God, have dinner with me. He's like, okay. He's like, if I've, if I've wronged anyone, let me repay him four times over. It's just generosity was an instant fruit of meeting the Son of God. An absolute instant fruit. You know, the boy who offered the fish and the loaves. You know, does anyone have anything to give? The boy comes forward. Generosity, an instant fruit of hearing the teachings of Jesus. And so it's an instant fruit. So if you're not generous, have you met the Son of God? Or are you like the rich young ruler who has this obligation to obey the commandments, obey the commandments, obey the commandments, obey the commandments, but there's actually not this transaction going on in a love affair between heaven and your heart? And um, we've got to begin to, to resist the world's way. And this really culminates in, in Genesis 14. We see this really astonishing story um, that some of you would have heard before, but um, it's about Abraham. It says, After his return from the defeat of Shedonoma, the kings who were with him and the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavar. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, that means peace, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now this is interesting. Two kings go out to meet Abraham. Abraham has had this massive victory, right? He has, he has fought for these kings and he has won a victory. And these two kings go out, the king of Sodom, and we know Sodom, don't we? Sodom gets destroyed. Sodom is a wicked city, Right? And the king called Melchizedek, who actually his identity isn't in being a king, his identity is in being a high priest of the most high God. Isn't that interesting? That's what he's referred to. And there's these two kings, a pagan king and the other one a high priest of the Lord. And it says um, in verse 20, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything, he's speaking about Melchizedek, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal or a strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. See, Abram realised in this point that here's this one king and he's about God. He is about Yahweh. And here's this other king, and he is about Mammon. Matthew 6. He says, so, I'm going to give monetary to Melchizedek, because he's about Yahweh. But I'm not going to take anything from Sodom, lest Sodom be able to say that Sodom made me rich. Do you get that? Now, now this is the classic verse in which all tithing stems from, Right? It's pre-Levitical law. Okay? So they say, no, it's not an Old Testament principle to tithe. It's about Genesis 14. This verse is not just about tithing, folks. That is, I mean, it's even a, it's a, a slim thread to take it to that. This verse is about this. Are you living under the, the, the call and the mandate of Melchizedek 
that's listed in Hebrews 12 or are you under the mandate of Sodom? How much of your life do you give to Sodom? Because Abram said, I'm not giving Sodom a thing and I'm not taking a thing from Sodom. Right? I'm going to give everything I have to the order of Melchizedek. And Jesus was in the order of Melchizedek. So we need to understand this. What kind of church do you think we're going to have? What kind of bride do you think we're going to have if you give 90% of your time and your money to Sodom? What do you think we're going to have? And what do you think you're going to have if you give 90% of your time and your money to the kingdom of God? Am I saying give it all into the church? No, because there are hugely godly men in all kinds of different industries all over the world that we should be given into. You know? And am I just talking about your money? I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your time, man. What are you giving your time to? You know, there is a revolution happening among the young right now that they're saying, you know what? Sodom, you don't get 40 hours of me. You get 20. And I'm going to spend 40 a week for Melchizedek. Now, I tell you, we need to start living live differently. You know, did Peter know he could walk on water when he was in the boat? No, he didn't. He stepped out of the boat to find out he could walk on water. You know, I've, I've spoken at pastors' conferences in New Zealand to some of the biggest movements and talked about these sort of scenarios, saying, this is the message. And you know what they say? They say, your way isn't proven. Here's a way that's proven. And what I'll say to them is in every single denomination outside of the charismatic kind of non-denominational Pentecostal movement in New Zealand, numbers in church are going like this. Right? They're dying. There is a faith crisis in the Sodom-driven church. You know, money might perpetuate a machine, but it doesn't perpetuate the kingdom of God. If everyone here gave 90% of their income to the rock, it doesn't mean God would be more here. No. It might just be that, you know, we have nicer lights or we might do things differently or we might, you know, have a home for like solo mums downtown or we might do... That doesn't necessarily mean we're closer to Jesus at all. The amount of money you spend on something doesn't determine how close or how penetrating the kingdom of God is. What does is what order you live under. And when you live under the order of God, you can walk in like Daniel did, like Esther did, like Joseph did, into Sodom environments and you can counsel kings to change their tune. And let me tell you something, I'm walking into Hamilton City now, I'm more connected in Hamilton City than Wellington or Auckland. I'm just completely connected. It's absolutely unbelievable and I've walked in there like stepping out of a boat on faith and my only contact when I walked into the city was a 19-year-old music student who came to Auckland that said, we need a zeal in Hamilton City and we've been praying about We believe God needs to have a youth centre in this town. And so on that, like I said before, no resistance is permanent, only temporary. So I say, whatever resistance there is, whatever resistance we'll face, if God is in this, we go to Hamilton. So we pray about it, we think we'll go to Hamilton. So on the notion of a 19-year-old who drives to Auckland, who meets with us, who says, I've been praying, I think God wants a zeal in Hamilton, we go to Hamilton. Right? Fast forward 18 months. There is a meeting at the council 
that they're trying to cut $1.6 million of funding in the city. And in that meeting, without me being present, at the end, they make a resolution to fund zeal. Right? In the midst of this overwhelming push to cut funding, we get funded. Who am I? I'm a nobody. Who's Brooke Turner in Hamilton City? No one. Who's Jesus in New Zealand? Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not about the money that council gives. It's about the fact that God wants a zeal youth centre in Hamilton City to start looking after those kids who are the oppressed, the poor, the last, the lost and the least. Those young Māori and Pacific Island kids in the garden place and next to the bus exchange that everyone condemns and everyone points the finger and says that Hamilton's problem, God sees them as the kingdom of God's potential. It's not about the money that the council will give. It's about living under the order of Melchizedek and these ones that have lived under Sodom and lost will win under Melchizedek. Do you get it? When you start living like that, you understand that that blessing isn't about some gloating thing. I haven't shared that anywhere else. I come and share it here because I felt it was pertinent to this message. But the point is, when you live under the order of Melchizedek, you will be blessed. What you touch will be blessed. Who you give to will be blessed. Who you speak to will be blessed. You've got to begin believing it. You've got to begin living it. And when it looks like every all the odds are against you, you've got to get yourself in a fear-not position, not a fear position, a fear-not position. And the Holy Spirit's really coming in now. <laughs> and you know, the, the, the thing with it, it's interesting, I, I wasn't going to say this, but I am going to say it, Tonight when we sung, we sung so much about love. Do you hear that, eh? And the love of God is so amazing. But let me tell you this. When I look at the scriptures, love doesn't make you fear not. Now you say, well, perfect love casts out all fear. Yes, it does. But perfect love is not just love as we know it in this world. It's not a good feeling. It's not feeling safe. It's not just peace. Right? The ability to fear not comes from fearing God. When you understand that God is more powerful, more resourceful, more able, more supernatural than any other being or force in the universe, you fear not when any other fear knocks at your door. It's your fear of the Lord's enormity and his power that makes you fear not. It's not just going, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know? Do you just want a God who loves you? And that's why people have problems. They go, oh, well, if God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. And God's going, if you feared me, you wouldn't be afraid of this. Do you get that? We've got to sort out our theology on this. If you actually fear God, if I realise that the greatest stake in my life is the fear of the Lord is actually knowing that at some point I'm going to have to give account to Jesus, then it determines my actions everywhere, doesn't it? And even when my back's against the wall, even when all the odds are against Brooke Turner, I understand that it's not about Brooke Turner, it's about Jesus Christ. I'm not the centre of the show, he is. I'm not the main act, he is. And therefore I fear him, I honour him, I revere him, I place him first, and I go, I'm getting myself in a fear not position, because right now I'm afraid of the mirror of Wellington. But I don't serve the mirror of Wellington, I serve the king of the universe. And I'm more afraid of him. So what does he want me to do? And then I'm going to determine how I conduct myself to the mirror of Wellington in that light. Do you get that? 
People are just driven by fear. And that's why we hold on. Oh, it's recession. Oh, I can't afford to give as much. Mate, this should be the time that we're just like, I'm just going to give more. I'm just going to give it everywhere. Wasn't that great hearing those testimonies tonight? You know what? The people who gave that $9,000, mate, get ready. Get ready for the blessing of God just to unfold and unfold and unfold in your life. And I don't just mean in a monetary way. Get ready for the whisper of heaven to become more regular in your life. Because you're giving God what he wants. See? I've still got a bit more to go. I hope you're still with me. Are we we still together? It is okay to pursue the blessing of God. I wanted to spell a life tonight. It is okay to pursue the blessing of God. God's not looking at you. Listen, you know, JB's prayed, Lord, I pray that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my tent. It's okay to pursue the blessing of the Lord in your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to move in you. And... um. You know, how you do that, make it your number one goal no matter what. And you know what happens in this is that we begin judging people around us. When stuff isn't going right for us, we begin to look to our left and right and go, why is it that that person gets blessed and I don't get blessed? Why, or even if we're in a position of blessing, we put two people up and we go, why does that person not get blessed and that person gets blessed? Do you hear what I'm saying? And you know, it's interesting, I just want to take us to a story here in Genesis 25, which is about Jacob and Esau, the age-old Jacob and Esau story. Hairy man versus non-hairy man. <laughs> and once Jacob... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> once Jacob was cooking a stew, this is in verse 29 to 33, um, once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that stew, for I am exhausted. Jacob said... Tell me your birthright now. Basically, the blessing inheritance on his life, right? Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear it to me now. So he swore it to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Now, let's just get this for a minute. Okay, here's Jacob. Firstly, he's he's after the blessing of God and he does it deceitfully, Right? What I'm going to do is I know my brother goes out and he, and he hunts and this kind of thing. I'm going to do up this really nice stew with this really nice aroma. When he comes in, I'm going to trick him. And I'm going to say, I'll give you a momentary blessing now for a lifetime blessing. And hopefully I can fool him into giving me a lifetime blessing for a momentary blessing. And he does. Right? And then not only that, he goes to his father, right? And his mum gets in on the cahoots with it, Right? And they're like, look, to get the birthright, to really get it, you can't just have it from Esau, you've got to get it from Dad. And so what we're going to do, we're going to get these, these bits of um, animal and we're going to put them on your arms because you're not hairy enough. And you're going to go in, you're going to sit by Dad and Dad's going to bless you and give you his, his birthright. So Jacob goes in, sits down, deceitfully sits by blind Dad, Isaac, and Isaac feels him and says, this is my son Esau. And he says, yes, it is I, uh, um, father. And then he gives him his birthright. Now, even more astonishing than these two stories, God blesses Jacob. That's wrong. 
God, I don't know who wrote this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Lord, something's wrong with the story. Here's this guy, two actions of deceit, gets a lifetime blessing. Right? This is what it's like, isn't it? You look at these people, they're blessed. You're like, why is that person blessed? I know what they do. I know that part of their life. Oh, it's just not right that they're blessed. Right? And these other people are like, don't even care about the blessing. Oh yeah, whatever. Okay, God. Oh yeah, I could take it or leave it, Christianity, really. You know? Oh, if I didn't have a Bible, it's no big deal. Thousands of people have died that I can have a Bible in English, but I don't really take it to church because the preacher's going to tell me what I need to know anyway. I mean, it's like, what is it about Jacob? Why does God honour Jacob here? You know, you know why he honours it? Because Jacob wants the blessing, right? Jacob just wants it. He will do whatever it takes to get the blessing of God. And because he's the secondborn, not the firstborn, he's going to fake being the firstborn to get it, right? He's going to trick his older brother by giving him a momentary blessing to get it because the blessing of God is more important to him than anything else. And you know what? Esau, the older, older brother, doesn't care about it. He doesn't think it's worth anything, so he just hands it on as if it's nothing. And you second generation, third generation, fourth generation Christians, that's your temptation, the temptation of Esau. That you've got it right. You know the story through and through. You know, it just about every, story, every Sunday school story is in you. But the question is this, are you the Esau that sells out your birthright for some stew? Or are you the Jacob that will do anything you can to live in the blessing and the mandate and the power of God? And then I tell you, I'll do everything I can to get God's attention. I've had moments where I'm like, man, God is just not listening. And my, I call up my dad, my dad says, Brooke, you need to get into the courtroom of heaven. You need to start yelling your cause in the throne room. And people go, you know, you get, you get into the courtroom of heaven. Who are you, Brooke Turner? I mean, there's kids dying in Africa right now. I mean, what about Romania's plight? What about Afghanistan's plight? You know what? I don't live in Afghanistan. And I'm not in Romania and I'm not called to Africa. But what I know is I need God here and now in Wellington. And you better have a loud voice, Africa, because I've got a loud one. And you better have a loud voice, Afghanistan, because I've got a loud one. And if God calls me to you, I will call on behalf of you. But right now, God has called me to Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I call on behalf of her. And so I enter the throne room of heaven and I plead my case over and over again because I know that resistance is only momentary and that the blessing of God is eternal. Man, where are the Jacobs? That's what I'm looking for. The Jacobs who will stand up and be so bold to say we can do it differently. We can actually transform New Zealand. We can actually see the church transformed. You know, I got sent this DVD this week, Losing Our Religion, about all these disgruntled Christians basically critiquing, saying everything that's wrong with institutionalised church, everything that's been wrong with the leadership structures of church, everything that's wrong. I just sat there going, my goodness, are you serious? This is what you spent, you spent your time producing this DVD. You spent your time making a video on this. You know, one in three teenagers in New Zealand are binge drinkers. They're drinking over six bottles of alcohol a weekend. And you're making a DVD about what's wrong with the church. What's wrong with you? 
There are greater issues at hand. We just had the greatest disaster of our nation. In Christchurch, the city is still on its knees. And you're moaning about how the Sunday service runs or the style of your leadership or you know what's being preached. You're an Esau. Become a Jacob. Start fighting for the blessing of God. Start praying into the providence of God. Start praying that godly men will be raised up. You know, my prayer this week is for Ansar Insurance, one of the greatest Christian companies in our, in our land that has insured three quarters of the churches in New Zealand and is on the verge of bankruptcy because of Christchurch because all those churches they insured and they cannot get reinsured. Where is the church standing up for them? Where are the offerings of all the churches that have been insured by Anspar going back into that company? That's what I want to know. Where are the Jacobs who are saying, there's the blessing of God on my life, you know what, I'm just going to bail you out. Oh! (laughs) And I mean, I'm sorry for being so passionate, but I mean, this is just something that I just see is just a truth that I've lived that I so long for people to live. I long for you to capture it, to grab it, for it to penetrate for you, to, for it to go beyond your logic and your reason, for it to get you. Jacob sought the birthright because he valued the blessing from God. And then we see in, in Hebrews 12, and it's so interesting to me that Genesis 14 and Genesis 25, the story of Melchizedek and the story of Jacob and Esau are then talked about in the same chapter in the New Testament. But we see when it refers back to Esau, it says, see to it, this is in Hebrews 12, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Though he sought it with tears. Listen, eternity is infinite, but this life is finite. And time ticks away. You choose what order you live under. Sodom and Melchizedek, and you know in Deuteronomy 28, there's a passage that talks about blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And it says, Faithfully obey the voice of the Lord and these blessings shall come on you. You will be blessed in the city, you will be blessed in the field, you'll be blessed in the womb, you'll be blessed in the fruit of your labour, the increase of your herds and flock. Blessed shall be your basket. And then it says, these curses will come upon those who disobey. They'll be cursed in the city, they'll be cursed in the field, they'll be cursed in the womb, they'll be cursed in the fruit of their labour, they'll be cursed in their herds and flock, they'll be cursed in the fruit of their basket. I mean, how many people are walking under a curse? You know, I spoke this message the other week at Blueprint and... um. I said, you know, if you're a beneficiary, because you know, there's 25% youth unemployment in New Zealand, so around a quarter of our church downtown are unemployed. 
So if you're a beneficiary in this place, I see it's the blessing of God on New Zealand that you get a benefit being unemployed. There's countries where you get nothing. See, so I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, you're seeking a job. You're praying God for a job. But how much of the provision that he's already given you have you given back? You know, one person went out that day, started, gave $600 to a ministry as a beneficiary and got a job that week. Because she said, I'm no longer going to live under the order of Sodom and I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to be of the 25% unemployed. I'm going to choose to actually live under a different order, the order of Melchizedek. And you know, that person then begins getting blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in their womb, blessed in the fruit of their labour, blessed in their livestock, blessed in the basket. And man, God longs to bless you, eh? He really does. The heart of the Father is crying out for you tonight and saying, you know, I want to bless you more. And you know, some of you here, you are people of tremendous blessing. And God is grateful to you. He is grateful. You are people of tremendous blessing. And, um, and oh, I just feel to do this, but I feel um, for the Gales that God just wants you to know that you are people of tremendous blessing and that he has seen the blessing that you have given, not just monetary-wise, but also your labour for Christchurch, your labour... Um, the late nights and the early mornings and that Father's heart breaks for you tonight. He is just so, so grateful to you as a family and the blessing of God on your household, the blessing of God on your children, the blessing of God. So let's just stand together tonight. Let's just stand. And um, what I want to do tonight is that there's some of you I know that have been living in this and... um, and there's, you know, you know this truth and you're living it and that God wants to just break you forth into more. But um, for some of you just know, like as I've been speaking, this that Esau thing and that, that um, just that taking for granted that, that inheritance, that blessing of the Lord and, um, and that curse listed in, in Deuteronomy 28. And just with every eye closed, it's just really respect this time. But I particularly just want to pray for people today, tonight. And I'm not going to ask you out the front, but I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in a minute. If you have pronounced, you know, just as I've been speaking, you have pronounced a curse over you in terms of your ability to hear God, your ability to feel God, to be blessed by Him, to engage with Father's heart. If you have pronounced a curse over you in terms of work or in terms of the ability for God to provide your needs, or if you've bought into a lie um, in, in that regard, or if you've been that Esau that has just taken for granted the blessing of God and has let it go. If that's you, just with every eye closed, please, I still see some eyes open, please close your eyes. With every eye closed, just if that's you, and you just raise your hand, I'm going to pray for you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You can just raise it and put it right back down. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Lord, I thank you that we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, not the God of Esau. And so, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, for those who have pronounced a curse on themselves or on others, for those who have had a curse pronounced over them, for those who have taken for granted the inheritance, the birthright, as sons and daughters of the living God, Lord, we just sever the ties to those idle words. We sever the ties, Lord, to that negativity, Lord, to that mistruth, Lord, to that misrepresentation of the gospel in Jesus' name. Lord, I sever the ties, Lord, of that word that says you can't hear God, you can't feel God because the person hasn't. I sever it in the name of Jesus that, Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit would penetrate those hearts in Jesus' name, that they would come into full revelation, Lord, of the presence of God, the manifest presence of God among their heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those, Lord, who are in financial difficulty. Lord, those who, um, Lord, things have been really tough and Lord, they've, they've held their life with a closed hand. And Lord, tonight they're recognising that hand needs to open again. I pray, Lord, let your providence just be released upon them tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Lord, we break the lie that says that Father God somehow withholds from his kids or, or chooses left and right. Who, Lord, that you long to give gifts to all your kids, Lord. You long to bless your children, Lord. Lord, like that story about Evelyn, Lord, you outgave me to Evelyn. You can outgive anyone, God, because you love them. You'll love them, Lord. And I pray there'll just be a breakthrough for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those who need to really act on this word. Lord, they need to begin to give in an area, Lord, whether it be of their time, of their hearts, of their strength, of their resources, God, that, Lord, that as they begin to step out in that, Lord, like Peter, he did not know he could walk on water. He stepped out first and the power of God enabled him to walk on water that, Lord, they would step out, not focused on the storm, but focused with their eyes on Jesus, and there would be breakthrough in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, breakthrough in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And we just break off the doubt and the unbelief in Jesus' name. Lord, that we are not a people of unbelief in Jesus' name. We are a people who believe in the power of God. We believe in that, that a father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We believe that God loves all his children, that you long to bring them in under your wings, to nurture them, to protect them, to enable them, God. You are that God in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And just, just here in this place, just to finish, I'm just going to pray a prayer and you can have the ability just to pray it after me. So let's just pray and let's just declare verbally because there's something about verbally declaring something that you're, you're verbally putting a stake in the ground and saying, I, I am living under a new day. So just pray after me. Lord Jesus, in any way that I have lived under the order of Sodom, in my own logic, in my own reason, 
I surrender this kind of living to you. I submit it to you, Jesus. And I say I no longer will walk in the futility of my mind, but I will walk in faith under the order of Melchizedek, the order of Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, my provider of guidance, my provider of blessing, my provider of love, and there is no other in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You've done very well to stick it through. I know I rant and rave, but somewhere there was Jesus. Amen. Cool.